Analyx 1.8. The master said, Drenze, lacking in gravity, would not inspire awe and light depth. Yet they are not inflexible in their studies. Take Zhong and making good on your word as your mainstay. Do not accept anyone as a friend who is not as good as you are. And where you have erred, do not hesitate to mend your ways. This is one of those analects wherein Confucius is probably advising a particular person. And this is something important to keep in mind when you're studying the analects, because often there might be some advice given and it's not the same with everybody else. Because human beings are not like computer programs. We're not like uh, hardware where you just kind of install a set of code. And the code, of course, is simply just a set of instructions broken down into detail for computers to follow. Because computers are not very intelligent and they're not born with personalities. So you implement this set of instructions into a computer and it just follows it. And if it can't, that means there's something significantly lacking in the hardware. Well, human beings are not like this. We all have our different personalities. We are all at different stages in life. And so in order for us to become better persons, we need to have instruction that is more unique to us. That's why if you are serious about studying the way, it is very helpful to have a teacher rather than simply studying on your own. So these lectures, they are just lectures. They're very useful, but they're not as good as when I know my student on an individual basis and I know what to say, I know what to emphasize. And here Confucius throughout the Analects is doing this. Sometimes he even gives seemingly contradicting advice to one person and um, almost opposite advice to somebody else. And actually he's asked about this much later in the Analects. And he says basically this one student um, has twice the energy, twice the courage of a normal person, but this other person, the second person, uh, is kind of timid. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And so he has to tell this first person basically dial it down but to the second person he needs to encourage that person to go out there make more of a difference etc again it's because where you are in life currently with your personality really matters this also relates to this idea of uh, uh, elsewhere much later in the analects he's asked about two different students of his and um, these two students, 
he describes as one oversteps the bounds and oversteps the mark and the other one comes up short and he's asked well who is better and he says Confucius says well um, both are equally insufficient so again uh, you can overdo something and you could also be insufficient regarding it and the idea is to be right on the mark you can't be too timid but you can't be too bold because once you're bold you go into areas of rudeness you overstep your bounds and this goes for um, nearly any virtue out there nearly any virtue out there there is such a thing as going too far just as much as there is going too too little one quick word on the uh, one quick note on the word student versus disciple um, the etymology of the word disciple is interesting it has to do with the word discipline um, it's not inherently a religious thing and so your translation that you're looking at uh, will refer to Confucius's dedicated students as disciples uh, and the word disciple is not inherently religious even though if you are in an english-speaking word world uh, this world has been largely influenced by christianity even though you yourself might not be at all religious and the word disciple always brings up to mind the history of um, jesus and his disciples who later become the apostles all except of course one and so people think oh uh, the word disciple must be religious it is not necessarily religious it means a student that a teacher disciplines and therefore another way to look at this of course is a dedicated student because usually uh, you know if you're just a student um, in the sense that uh, people use the word today where you're just uh, one person in the room maybe there's a 30 of you guys maybe there's 300 of you guys uh, if you're in college if you're in, at a university and you're considered a, a student but the professor doesn't really know who you are the teacher the, um, is not really a teacher so much as he is an instructor uh, or he's a lecturer uh, or he's your somebody who grades you but he doesn't really get to know you he doesn't really know who you are uh, he doesn't really have a good sense of your strengths and weaknesses and so he's not very good at cultivating you the way um, that um, an arborist might be slowly cultivating a fruit tree um, or a farmer might be cultivating a crop that's a more hands-on more detailed process with much attention given to that or who uh, or, or the person being cultivated so we have here um, a set of advice and they're not all related to one singular theme 
So it's best to take each statement one at a time. And depending on your translation, uh, there's sort of a different way of translating. Um, and and I'll, I'll point that out when we get to this. Okay, so the first thing that's stated is this idea of having gravity. So Jinja should have gravity. Otherwise, they would not inspire awe and they would not lack depth. Another translation puts it as they would lack dignity. What does this mean to have gravity? It means to have a serious commitment to the way. Having gravity, having seriousness, of course, is the opposite of being frivolous, of being fickle. If you're one of those people that just studies and jumps around in their study of philosophy, nobody is going to take you seriously, regardless of, of uh, what exactly you could have been doing. People are only taken seriously if they have this deep and committed understanding to something. If you're just somebody who's very intelligent and jumping from one idea to another, and it's just all kind of scattershotted, it's hard to take you seriously and it's certainly very difficult for you to inspire awe. Now, on the other hand, we have this uh, statement in certain translations, yet they are not inflexible in their studies. This is kind of interesting I'm not going to go into why from the original classical Chinese you might have uh, two different translations. Uh, this happens from time to time in general and uh, I'm not somebody who is highly uh, versed in the art of translation and um, the other areas of expertise that would accompany it. Uh, but in any case, that really is out of the scope of discussion for our lectures. Um, if you study philosophy, does it help to understand something of the original language? Certainly. But if the translation is well done, and it's, um, if it's well done, then then you can rely less on knowing the original language. Furthermore, um, there are some limitations in understanding the original language, even if you are a great expert. Why? Because after 2000 years or more, language inevitably changes. Uh, lots of things change. Even the grammar of the language can change. But the connotations of any word that can change over time. And so now you have to drag in some sort of uh, histor historical expertise to be able to see, okay, well, the word Junzu back then had these sorts of other meanings at the same time. And uh, that's a very different meaning than the meaning that they used 500 years ago compared to 2000, compared to uh, maybe perhaps 4,000 years ago. And this is something that naturally happens with, uh, with all languages. The last thing to note is that um, I have multiple translations of the Analects and, and any kind of classic that I get very invested in. Uh, because, you know, there are these sort of nuances and differences in interpretation that you do find. And so it's sometimes useful to be able to go through the same classic with different interpretations in English.
uh, excuse me, different translations in English, and to kind of uh, compare and contrast and see what you may have missed. Um, and so one, one kind of way to go about it is to just have multiple translations um, and just, just compare and contrast. And we're talking about philosophy. We're not talking about divine revelation. So when we're talking about philosophy, it, you know, it, it doesn't really become yours until you contemplate it on, on it anyway, until you take what's on the page and use it to generate ideas. And through that process of contemplation and reflection, you make it into your, who you are. That's the real genuine power of philosophy. Now, if you're looking through a religious text and understanding this to be divine uh, revelation and you're trying to figure out what the afterlife is like or when the world will end, that's a different matter. Um, but philosophy is a little more flexible. Okay. So we have the statement, uh, speaking of flexibility, you know, Junja are not inflexible in their studies. And that's, this can be many different things. So um, flexibility uh, probably in this context, context specifically means when you're studying, don't just be strictly dogmatic about what you study. In other words, don't just look and say, okay, I only study the analects. I refuse to look at, say, the writings of Plato. That's not really uh, a helpful thing for yourself. Or don't be somebody who goes, I only study philosophy. I won't study fiction because that's just made up stuff. Don't be inflexible. Some people, of course, outside the world of philosophy, they might go and say, well, I only, uh, I only study sciences, the sciences and engineering. And that's it. That's how I'm going to study and, um, you know, philosophy and humanities. It's just not, you know, it's not helpful. Uh, we would, you know, if you're somebody who's made this far in lecture series, you already can see that and probably understand that to, to be um, very narrow minded. So um, you can broadly study and be acquainted with different ideas, even philosophies that are you can say uh, you can believe fundamentally wrong. So I'm somewhat familiar with um, arguments in favor of moral relativism, for example. But I don't become an expert in it. This also relates to some other um, something else that Confucius says much later in the Analects, which is that um, you don't want to be a master of basically um, incorrect philosophy. Again, I'm paraphrasing and we'll talk about that when we get to this point. Some translations have this as heterodoxy or um, false doctrine or something. But the, the general idea is that you don't want to master the ins and outs of something that is incorrect. And um, again, we'll talk a little bit more about, about that. But the, the basic reason why is because if you master it, that's different from being acquainted with it. If you master it, it um, inevitably becomes part of who you are, becomes part of your um, soul, uh, to use a Western term. And it and therefore can really affect and um, derogate your virtue or even corrupt it. So you can be acquainted with, with certain things to various degrees, to that to which they are helpful. So I study a good deal of economics. 
Um, I'm very familiar with, uh, the, you know, um, a lot of Western ways of governing, um, a lot of Western history. You know, I'm acquainted with these things um, and to various degrees, um, I am good at understanding them. But um, there's always a proper degree to anything. And so I am broadly learned, uh, I'm a, I am broadly learned and uh, I study broadly. But I don't, I only have so much time and so do you. And so you want to keep core to what is essential. Okay, let's look at the next statement here. Take Zhong and Shen, uh, Shen means making good on a word. Take Zhong and Shen as your mainstay. We talked about Zhong before. Zhong is to be sincere and really work and feel from the very center of your heart in all of your relations. And of course that entails different things. If you're interested in um, kind of the dissection of different relationships and what is Jong in each of these relations, there's a different lecture series is called, um, it's, it's called Jong and the family, uh, but it covers many different uh, areas. Um, the, I don't have the title exactly in front of me. It's, it's a little different than that, but, but you can go to, uh, the website and, um, find where this is, um, or it might be something you can search up. So you want to make your mainstay don't, in other words, your relationships are what's important. Uh, this is a very different from the sort of ivory tower academic person who tends to not have many relations, if he has any at all. A lot of people in academia have sacrificed some very fundamental relationships in their life. And this is quite unfortunate. And this um, very often limits their understanding because they haven't really experienced these relations. Uh, moreover, they're the kind of persons to have simply given it up. And um, that has that says more than just the fact that they were never, never able to have children. So for example, if some people, unfortunately, uh, tragically, they simply cannot have children. Um, but that's an entirely different situation. What's the worst situation is a, is a person who just simply decided one day, or eventually, they just don't want to have children. They refuse to have children. Um, because they don't want to have children. Uh, they just see having children as a burden, uh, as an unhappiness. Well, this is not the kind of person you want to learn from because this person has decided to limit their experience of humanity in a very fundamental and essential and critical way. So, um, you know, that, that of course relates to who, who you make as a friend, um, but um, I'm a little ahead of myself. So Zhong and Shen are your mainstays because uh, they are the most important thing. Your relations are the most important thing in the world. We go back to the 
idea of being ren. Um, if you look at that word, there's actually two components to it. One is the character for two, and the other one is the character for person. Uh, this is a big hint that in order to fully be a person, in order to fully be a human being, you need two human beings. You can't just be completely isolated. Human beings require relationships, in other words. And so um, know your fundamental relationships and have good fundamental relationships and you will be a better person. Work on your uh, filial relationships, whether we're talking about from the standpoint of being a child or the standpoint of being a parent. Work on your marriages. Be a good wife, be a good husband. Be a good friend. If you are a student, be a good student. If you're a teacher, be an excellent teacher. If uh, you have a Lord, if you're lucky to have a Lord, because these days, um, you know, people don't have lords. And we'll talk about the difference between having a Lord and simply having an elected official who is temporarily there, um, you know, and runs for, um, you know, runs for elections, uh, governing. That's, that's kind of a different situation, but that's, that requires its own discussion. Um, but if you have a Lord, you know, cultivate that relationship uh, there. So that's essential. You don't want to just think about virtue as being this very abstract thing. Like I am the person to always tell the truth. That's not how it should work. Um, I am a person who is just generous to anybody and I don't make a distinction between whether this guy is my brother or this guy is somebody I just met 20 seconds ago. Uh, that's, uh, we'll talk about, we'll have some opportunity to talk about that later. Um, but that's not the proper way to go about life. So, um, let's go to the next part here. Do not accept anyone as a friend who is not as good as you are. Very important. This might sound a little harsh to people who are not familiar with this idea. So let me lay the ground for understanding this. There's a difference between being friendly and accepting someone as a friend. You should be friendly to most people, whether they're as good, they are as good as you or not. Cordial, respectful, helpful. These are all excellent things. And um, I don't go around the world thinking, is this person a good person? Um, before thinking, how can I help them? How can I be nice to them? How can I be friendly and courteous? You know, I, I don't withhold a smile, a friendly smile um, or a hello, just because I think this person might have certain problems. But on the other hand, that is not accepting somebody as your friend. When you accept somebody as your friend, so this let's talk about what a friendship is. This is a relationship in which you are uh, confiding in somebody else, asking them for advice as well as giving advice, taking their uh, beliefs and opinions seriously. Now, if you understand friendship in this way, you can understand why 
you should not accept just anybody as your friend. You could be friendly to them. You could help them out. You can look out for them. In, in G. But a friend is a different thing. This is a um, person that you confide in and you, you are tied to. There's a sort of loyalty. So if their life goes down, you are obligated to help them out, even though it makes your life a little less pleasant or even significantly less pleasant. That's what a true friend is. Friendship engages in sacrifice. Now, um, that's why it's important to have a friend who is as good as you are, or in other words, somebody approximately equal to you in terms of goodness. Specifically, it's important to find a friend who, uh, who is dedicated to goodness as much as you are. I think that's the most important thing. So some people, they're just not really, they just don't really care all that much. And um, you should not want these people to be your friends because they're going to encourage you to do things that will drag you down, will lessen your virtue, and they'll give you advice. It's almost impossible. You know, there's this idea of peer pressure, and it's almost impossible to actually avoid. Peer pressure is very strong, even in adults. And um, in my observation, um, young women are more prone to peer pressure than young men are. Uh, that might come as a surprise to some of you, but young men are more likely to just kind of go in their own way, whether it's wrong or right. Uh, they have a greater tendency just to be kind of independent-minded, again, whether it's right or wrong. Um, but I think the reason why women tend to do pretty well, say, in high school and in college, is because they're pretty good at following what's expected of them whether it comes from a, a teacher, singular authority, or if it comes from the group around them. Um, you know, males tend to go off on their own direction um, compared to, to, to females. But in either case still, the, the pressure to just kind of blend in and get along is enormous. So if you are hanging out with a group that's not very good, eventually they will drag you down to their level. Uh, maybe not completely all the way down, but you, you are going to be worse off as a result. So it's essential to have friendships where people are as good as you are and certainly as committed to goodness as you are. Okay, last statement. Where you have erred, do not hesitate to mend your ways. This is very important, of course. Uh, you know, it's... But look at the phrasing of this. Where you have erred, do not hesitate to mend your ways. This is what most people do when they err, when they do something wrong. They go through this sort of process, um, kind of similar to uh, that, you know, psychological um, process of uh, of loss. Um, so you know, there's this whole thing, you know, versus denial, anger. Um, bargaining, etc. Right? There's a similar kind of process here when somebody has recognized they've done something wrong. First, um, they try to rationalize it away. Uh, so they they go ahead and say, "Well, what I did wasn't really wrong, or I had good reasons for, to do it, or there's no big deal." And then. This is a big problem because they 
what they're trying to do is they're trying to shut down the sense of shame. But what's truly shameful is to continue in, in, in the uh, behavior after you figured out it's wrong. That's truly what is unvirtuous. That is truly what is insincere. And to continue to go that path or even double down, that is truly what's wrong. You know, it's important to understand that human beings are born bad. We're born lacking virtue and goodness. And so once you understand that, once you realize you've been doing something wrong all this time, just improve. You know, it's and, and what's what's also very telling about this is when it comes to something kind of petty, people change immediately, right? If if you've been, if I realize I've been um, investing my money in the stock market incorrectly all this time, and now I found a better way of doing it, I wouldn't wait even a half a second before shifting strategies. Why? Because I know I want to. Uh, make the money on on the stock market all right and so when it comes to something petty like money people are quick to change and improve themselves but when it comes to something like morality right if you if you point out to uh, to somebody um hey you've been wearing leggings as pants and that's very tight and that's very form-fitting and that's very thin <clears throat> And um, it's almost like you're not actually wearing anything at all, except the color of your skin is is different. Um, a lot of a lot of women will feel ashamed very suddenly and then start to rationalize. They'll start to make excuses. Well, it's just very comfortable. Well, you know, at least it covers the skin. Um, you know, it keeps me warm and stuff. But then you look at their actual behavior and you realize, well. Um, you wear this year long, whether it's cold or hot, or uh, you know, it's you wear this to the workplace where you're not working out, where you don't need the comfort. So they make all these excuses and rationalizations, um, but they just they don't just immediately change their behavior. And I th I think that's you know not just women and and, and leggings, but uh, this is true for you know you point out that to a man that what he's been doing. Um, is actually really uh, cowardly, um, then, then they, you know, they don't change their behavior or what they've been doing is really uh, violent and overbearing uh, or arrogant. They don't change their behavior. They just kind of feel ashamed. Um, and this, this, I think, tells you that people are, most people are petty-minded and they're not interested truly in virtue, they just want a virtuous reputation. So this the statement where you have erred, do not hesitate to mend your ways. That's very important. Don't hesitate to change your ways. Why? Because you truly value virtue. So once you figure out a better way of being, a better way of doing, you want to you want to be appreciative, you want to be happy that you figured it out, that somebody has told you something super valuable. And as a result, you're going to immediately make the change. And from there on, your life is going to be more moral. This is a mark of a virtuous person, not to be caught up and try to, try to avoid the sense of shame, but just to say, okay, great. I know how to be better. I've gained something truly valuable today. I'm going to use it. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to master it. I'm going to perfect it.